Well, this morning, I'm excited to preach to you. Are you guys ready this morning? Yeah, oh, okay. Are you guys ready this morning? Good, good. I, I feel like we can be an energetic church because when I meet with all of you, you're, you're passionate and you're energetic people. And so I, I'm excited, honestly, to preach on this message. I feel like last week was the more instructional message. And this week, I'm excited to preach. And uh, man, it's always a blast. I, I feel like, you know, we just feel like you're doing the right thing. Like a mechanic just feels so good fixing something. I just feel really in the right mode of preaching. So I'm excited this morning. And not because of anything I'm doing, but because I feel like God is really giving us some words in these 21 days of fasting and prayer, specifically on prayer. And I wanna say this morning, the word or the phrase that I have this morning is that the promise fuels the prayer. And this morning, that's what I wanna talk to you about is that the promise fuels the prayer. Last week, we talked about how we're, we're blessed to pray, how we're taught to pray, how we're encouraged to pray. And this week, I wanna talk about boldness in prayer because I think if we can get a hold of the promise in our mind, it will radically change how we're living our life day to day. If we can get a hold of this idea of this bold promise from Jesus Christ himself, it will change the way that we pray. So this morning we're gonna talk about the promise fuels the prayer. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Luke 11, 5 through 12. We're going to be reading out of that. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. And this passage comes right after where Jesus teaches uh, through the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke, it's formulated a little differently uh, than in Matthew. And in Matthew, you'll find the same thing in Matthew chapter 6. But we're going to be in Luke 11, 5 through 12 so let's read that together. The words will be on the screen, and we'll start in chapter five or in verse five. It says, "This is Jesus." Then he said to them, "Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, "Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him." It says then the one inside the door answers. Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. For which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me ask you this morning, and you don't have to answer out loud, but think in your heart, do you really believe this morning what Jesus has just told you to do, to ask? Do you really believe that if you ask, it will be given? Do you really believe that if you seek, you will find? Do you really believe if you knock, the door will be opened? And I don't mean like in an abstract sense, like that's great for church folk and those who are real spiritual. But for me, I, just, I don't really know how that works. I mean in the physical sense of this is Jesus Christ saying to his disciples, saying to you and I, saying, ask 
and it will be given to you. Do we really believe that? Because if we really trust the promises of God, it radically changes our perspective on who we are called to be and what, we are, what life we are blessed to live. And this morning, I want us to kind of wrap our brain around this promise because Jesus frames it so perfectly. What he's done is he's, he's put the promise in between two narratives that are kind of equally uh, humorous and the bottom one almost borderline ridiculous, right? Like so obvious. We're like, why does this even need to be here, right? It, but, it's, but it's perfect of how it sandwiches these two things and these two promises or this promise with these two narratives. So I want to talk through that. In verse uh, five through eight, it says, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And so here we have this story. And I, I wanna kind of walk through this and, and, and dive in to that story. Can we do that this morning? Yes, thank you, wife. I love you. <laughs> I know, now I know why I picked you. Uh, <laughs> um, but the, the main character, right, the main friend is visited by a traveling friend, right? He's visited by someone and, and he's like, I have no bread. I have nothing to give this visitor. So what he does is he goes out in the street and he goes to his neighbor's house and he bangs on the door at midnight. And, and immediately this is kind of unusual because obviously we don't function in this world, right? We, you would just go to, I mean, what store is open at midnight? Walmart or something and get, you know, a loaf of bread. But likely none of us have recently, unless maybe you're in college, none of us recently have had anyone banging on your door at midnight for wheat-based products. Like this is not occurring in your life. And so it's, it's a bit obscure. And second, it, what happens is the guy inside yells back to him and says, you know what? I just put my kids to sleep, and so help me. If you wake my children up, right? Anyone, I guess, let's see, parents of toddlers, right? Like, parents of small children, I just put my kid to bed. And if you wake this child up, like, I'll give you something at the door, but it's not going to be bread, right? So there's this, there's conflict, right? And so what's happening here is that he's setting up this example, and he's saying, okay, so finally the guy goes to the door, and it says, Jesus says, the neighbor won't get up because of his friendship. So not because of the friendship, but because of the boldness. Some translations say tenacity. Some translations say persistence. But it's all this idea of boldly petitioning. And not only, I like this, does he come to the door and say, here, and gives him like half a loaf of bread or like the leftover peanut butter sandwich that was on the counter. He gives him all that he needs, right? Scripture says uh, in verse 8, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So what is the scripture trying to say, I guess, about who Jesus is and what he expects of our prayers? Is it saying that our goal then is to annoy Christ with our prayers? Like, like Jesus, like the Lord is some old grump inside the house that if finally he gets out of the chair and is like, all right, open the door, these kids and their prayers. Like he's, he's begrudgingly answering for us. No. He, he's creating a contrast here. He's not talking about pestering Christ with our petitions, but he's establishing based on a cultural understanding, a contrast between us and God. So here's what's happening is that you and I, we're limited by our cultural understanding. Just like no one would come to your house at midnight for bread, we also live in an individualistic society that values you and your individualism. 
But if you live in an honor-based society like they did, that Jesus is using an example based off his audience to apply into, it's all about honor. Your honor, your family's honor, and a huge part of honor is hospitality. So if someone comes to your home, I, I feel this all the time, like if someone comes to my house, it's like part of my desire for our family to feed them somehow, right? Did anyone have this growing up? Like your parents randomly would like, someone showed up, there was food. They would make, they would find food. Doesn't matter if it's like Triscuits with cheese from the back of the drawer melted on it. It's like something was going to be given in ho- you know, hospitality to these people. So in an honor-based culture, if someone comes to your home, right, the culture he's talking to, Jesus is talking to, if someone comes to your home and you don't have anything, it's a mark on your honor. It diminishes your honor. So the man goes out because he doesn't want his honor to be hurt, and he comes to his friend's house. And now here's what happens. As soon as he bangs on the door and asks his friends for provision, in the culture that they live in, the friend had to now get up and give him provision, Because if he didn't get up and provide for his friend in his community, in this collective identity, then he would also have a mark on his honor as well. And so what Jesus is setting up isn't that we're annoying God, you know, with our boldness. It's saying the boldness that the friend was showing knocking on the door was reminding the guy inside that basically you have to get up and do this. This is part of what we do. And building up this honor identity. And so... Jesus isn't talking about pestering. What he's saying is, is, I think, even deeper than that. He's setting up a contrast to say, if people who are entirely self-interested, right, both men fully functioning out of this idea of like, I'm going to preserve the honor of my family. Not, I, I could really kind of care less about this person, but I'm trying to preserve my honor. If people who are broken, who are self-focused, will honor bold requests and provide, how much more will your God, who is not self-seeking, who is not self-interested, who is all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, how much more will he honor bold requests? Because someone banging at your door at midnight is not great, it's annoying, and it sucks, but and you would still get up and, and give to the need because of the situation. You would still care. And so Christ is making an almost, to them, in, in that cultural understanding, a ludicrous example to say, well, of course, if men who are broken can give good things and honor bold requests, then how much your infinite, all-loving God would give to you? Are you still with me this morning? And I, and I like this part of the promise is that, is that Jesus, who is all loving, Jesus, who is like the ultimate gift of love, is sitting telling his disciples. Like they, they can't quite catch it yet, but I wonder if they ever went back and remembered this conversation that God was promising good things while sitting there as the good thing. Saying, what you think that you could get from people is just so small compared to what God can give. And so we have this contrast to say, if you would be bold enough, if you needed bread, and if you would be bold enough to ask again and again and bang on the door of your neighbor's house, your neighbor who is broken and self-interested and self-focused and self-concerned, 
then why would you not, if you need provision, feel the same confidence to come to your father and knock on the door? Why not? He's perfect. He's good. He's all loving. And he sets up this promise because out of God's love for us, comes this promise. And I, I want to read it again because I want it to get it in our brain. And if you got to close your eyes to hear every word, that's good. Whatever you can do to hear this without distraction or bias, preconceived hurt or notions, to just hear these words. Verse 9 says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. See, I think our initial reaction, if we were really to be honest, is to explain that verse away, that surely it couldn't be as Jesus said. Right, in our real humanness to explain that way. Because uh, it, it's hard, out of our humanness, it's hard to understand that anyone would give such a blessing because it's so divine and so not human. And it's hard for us to break out of our understanding as people to understand a divine, all-loving God saying something like this. And so it should drive the most bold movement and does drive the most bold uh, persistent prayers, that this promise would push our prayers to be bold and to be powerful. But oftentimes what it comes down to is like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, uh, maybe I'm just reading it wrong. You know, maybe that's for someone else. But Jesus gives such a clear call and clear promises in here this morning. I want to say that it is for you and that you are not reading it wrong. And he says, he gives three calls and three promises. And I love it. It's a call and a promise. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Jesus is teaching his disciples to ask and then promising that it will be given. And now this is taking account what Jesus has talked about in prayer, seeking first the kingdom. It's taking account what Jesus has talked about, about the condition of the heart. It's taking into account all of Jesus' ministry when he's sharing this in the gospel. But he's saying, ask. What he doesn't say, and he chooses his words carefully, is ask with qualifications. Like, Ask with a parachute or ask with a net just in case it falls through. He just says, ask. And what's funny is even when I say, ask and it will be given, people shift in their chairs and they look at me. I see all of you. <laughs> I see your face when I say certain things. And, and our faces naturally when I say, ask, feel uncomfortable. And I think that just comes, a lot of us I, I, and a lot of people from how we are raised or how we think is that I talked to a few people who, who wrestle through, and I think if more people were honest, they would say they wrestle through this as, as well. So I always honor the people that honestly say, I, I struggle with this, is they said, I struggle to ask in prayer. I struggle to ask in prayer, to ask him for things. I, I struggle with that. I feel guilty or like I'm burdening God or... You know, what I find so much is that those who don't feel comfortable asking also are those that feel the least comfortable being a child of God. See, I think initially sometimes, especially if you've grown up in the church, you can see God as almighty. You can see God of the law. You can see all this, but we struggle so intensely to see Abba God. 
Abba Father, our Father God. So we can get all of these structural elements, but we miss something that your Father in heaven is telling you. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Can I tell you this morning, if you are God's child, then you really need to think about what it means to come ask a perfect loving father for things. See, I am, I'm broken, and yet my, my child comes and asks me for any, everything in her life. It's constant. It's obnoxious. But, but I'm not all loving, so, you know, you can pray for me. There's still a week left of the 21 days. Um, but my daughter, she feels no divide between coming and asking. She feels no separation between coming and asking. And can I tell you that Jesus died for you and I, and he removed, he tore the curtain. He removed any separation. So in your life, don't put in place something Jesus has already died to remove. Don't put a separation for you and God that it costs the death and resurrection and suffering and life of his son to remove. He already took that. You don't got to be worried. You don't have to qualify. Can I tell you something that's not even in my notes? You don't even have to understand to obey what God is telling you, and that is to ask. John, uh, 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The second thing he says this morning, are you still with me? Good. The second thing he says uh, is to seek and then promises that you will find. This ties right in. Uh, the same uh, phraseology is used in Matthew six thirty three, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Speaking of provision. And it goes all the way back. The same wording goes back to Jeremiah 29, 11. We see the same thing play out. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He's speaking to Israel here. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Uh, this is in Jeremiah. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. See, seeking, it's like every word's taking it up a little notch. Seeking now requires action. It's a greater intensity than just asking. It shows a growing desperation that comes from our heart and our soul. And it means, seeking means you're pursuing some kind of objective. And for you and I, no matter the need, our number one objective is the pursuing of Christ Jesus, the pursuing of the Lord in his presence. And we're promised by God, this is so great, uh, we're promised by God that we'll find it. See, the presence of God is so good that we should seek it no matter if we're promised to find it at all. But the blessing that we get to receive is that we'll find it. The third thing is knock and the door will be opened. I like this one because it's kind of the most intense, right? It, it, it takes it up to the, the next level, um, of wording, right? And, and if we take the example of the friend, first, the friend is asking, he's like, I, I, I have a need, I'm expressing a need, I need bread, I need to provide. Then he's seeking, he goes out into the streets and he's trying to find uh, someone to provide and then he, he gets to the door and he bangs on the door and he's knocking in the hopes that it be open, not simply to knock or make a great noise, but that it would be opened and he's knocking on the door. 
And knocking has one clear present objective in our life that we're told, and that's communion with God. That if all good things come from the Lord, then our goal is to be closer and nearer to the Lord. And this is where persistence comes in, right? It's funny, like the one time I'm talking about knock, we took all the doors down. There should be a door right here. That would be so convenient. Next time. Uh, But we know that the provision is behind the door. Amen? We know that God is there. We know that, that we can't open it. And so we have an option in our mind. What do we do? Do we sit on the steps of the promise like a beggar? Or do we knock on the door like a son that says, you know what? I belong in here. You have adopted me in here. And so I want in. Let me in. Right? And then in knocking, we trust we have a loving God who lets me say, God, I know your promise, and I know the world is telling me to give up, but you know what? I'm going to knock on the door because Jesus told me to. And we go back to this promise, ask, and it will be given, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be open. See, it's the promise that will fuel your prayer, and it's the promise that will fuel your persistence in prayer this morning. And I've seen God, I don't know if you've, you've been around long enough to, to see God honor persistent prayer, but he does. If you're sitting here wondering, like, what, does he do that? Yes, he does. Amen, he does. Praise the Lord, he does. Because God honors those who boldly and persistently pursue him. And I want to say, if you want to find somebody who prays bold prayers, find somebody who intimately loves the word of God. Amen. Hey, Kevin, would you do me a favor? Would you turn on that fan for me? Thank you. I, I think there's one problem anytime you talk about prayer, and half of you are probably already thinking it, so we're just gonna talk about it because I think we can be real enough, right? We can be real at church, amen? Amen. amen. We can be real at church together. And the problem, and whenever I, I preach on prayer or whenever someone preaches on prayer, the problem you will eventually run up against like this wall is the weight of suffering and unanswered prayer in the world. That is unavoidable. I don't want to avoid this idea because you're all going to go home and think about this, right? That if you've spent any time watching the news or traveling the world or interacting with people or living your own life, you have seen suffering. And so we're taught to cry out to God, and yet we have this weight of what we're facing. Does anyone else in here think, spent any time wrestling with that in your life? Anybody? Yeah, I, I have, right? As it... In my life today, I, we always still wrestle with that. Because unless you've been living under a rock, at some point in your life, you've encountered the fact that our world is profoundly broken. That we have a loving God, but counterpoint, there is an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and he is working super overtime at it. And we have victory over the enemy through Christ Jesus, but that doesn't mean that the enemy isn't still trying to do his best to destroy us. And I think that one of the ways he does that, specifically talking about prayer, is that he takes our attention off of God and he puts it onto the devil's handiwork. Right, I think about this anytime um, 
I, I spend time with someone who's really in addiction because I really feel that God has called uh, my wife and I to, to pray alongside, to believe alongside that addiction would be broken in people's lives, not by our power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And side note, but if you're in here and you're trapped in addiction, God has a better plan for you, a better way for you, and you don't have to live that. And I know there's no way you're seeing out, but God has a way out. And it's for you. And if that's you, I want to pray with you and walk with you on that. But, I, you know, we say addiction doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from the enemy. And there's freedom through Christ Jesus. But when you've been praying for a long time to see it broken, it can be hard to not see it broken. And when you've been praying a long time for deliverance and all of a sudden you just begin to see all the darkness, your, guys, your eyes go off the promise and onto the problem. You just begin to be surrounded by darkness and eventually sometimes in our life we can get to the point where all we see is darkness and we totally miss the light of the promise. Because the enemy's been at this for a long time. Because if he can get your eyes off of the promise and onto the problem, he can destroy your communion with God. And that's his goal. How does he do that? How does he get our eyes off of the promise? We read the words of Jesus. We know that's true. How does he get us off of that? Is that he convinces us of a couple things. One, he convinces us, the enemy does, that God's not loving he convinces us that God is holding back something from you, his child. And because God is holding back, according to the enemy, from you, his child, and he can't be loving, there's no need to talk to him because there's no assurance of his love. And so he comes in with that lie, and that is a lie from the enemy. And we could go all the way back. Look at Eve in the garden, right? At the beginning of time in Genesis, right? Satan comes to Eve and says, hey, why aren't you eating of this tree? That looks really good. She says, you know, we're not supposed to. She says, I thought you served a loving God. I thought you served a God that loved you. Why would a God who loved you not give this thing you want, right? Why, why, would, why don't you just take it? Why don't you just circumvent? Surely he's loving, you know, he, he's, he's missing it. You know, why don't you break communion? Why even ask God for things if he's just gonna hold out on you? We see the same thing true in, for Abraham and Sarah, right? Is that they have been promised a son from the Lord, but they grew impatient. He had promised them a son that would, that would bring about, they promised it through Abraham, a great nation, but they grew impatient with the promise. And so they took their eyes off the promise and they put it onto the problem. And they thought, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give her Hagar, you know, and they, maybe they'll have a son. And it didn't work out. Right? We have Ishmael, and there's been violence ever since for all of history because they tried to go around the will of God. And I want to tell you this morning, don't confuse impatience for persistence. Right, And that if you know the promise of God, but you think you're going to fill in the blanks for him, you're only helping the enemy. That's it. And the enemy's best play is to take the wheel from the Lord, hand it to you, and let you drive this thing off the cliff. Right, The will is God's, not our own. And the promise is supposed to fill our persistence, not our impatience. And it can be hard. I think we've all been there and just been like, maybe I'll just kind of fill this in for him because is he not listening? Does he not see me? Does he not know what's going on? And all throughout 
history, I think this formula has worked. I mean, sometimes well-meaning Christians, I don't know if you've ever had this conversation. Who's had this conversation where a well-meaning Christian will come to you and say, you know, why are you still praying for, for, your, for your child who's not serving the Lord? Right, like, I mean, a good and loving God wouldn't hold out on you, so he must not be loving, because he's holding out on you, and he brings in that lie. I think one of the most foolish things the enemy did was he tried the same trick on Jesus. And then he comes to Jesus and he says, why don't you turn these stones to bread, right? Son of God, tell these stones uh, to become bread. And Mark 4, and he begins tempting him. And Jesus replies, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus goes back to a promise of God in Deuteronomy 8.3. See, Jesus doesn't buy the lie. He doesn't buy the trick because he knows two things. He knows who his father is and he knows what his father has promised. And he knows that he serves a good God. He knows that God is good. He knows that the will is good. And so he's saying, I reject your lies because the promise of God is what gives me persistence. I might feel in a desert for 40 days. I mean, you're exhausted, you're hungry, but he says, I go back to the promise, and when I go back to the promise, it restores me. I think it's interesting, you know, in loving fathers is that Jesus ends this chapter talking about loving fathers in verse 11 through 13. And like I said, the scheme of the enemy has always been the same. It's, it's at the end of the day to convince you that you don't have a loving father because if you believe your father's not loving, then there's not really a reason to talk to him. Jesus is making a clear contrast in this end portion, right? And he says, if you who are broken would never even imagine giving your child a scorpion instead of an egg, how much more will your God give good things? In, in Luke, he says the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Matthew, he says good things. In Luke, he's specifically using the Holy Spirit to imply the good graces that come through the Holy Spirit. So it's still good things. It's just phrased a little differently. But I think of my own daughter, and I think there's no way, as broken as I am, as much as I need a Savior, that I would ever imagine giving a scorpion to my kid. There's just absolutely no way. Because if I give a scorpion, like, that's just crazy. The, the thought almost makes me angry to think about that idea. And so he's using this totally ridiculous example to say that if you would give good gifts, how much more would your heavenly father? Because the enemy wants to come in and he says, I don't want, he doesn't want you to pray because it's powerful. He doesn't want you to commune with God because as it turns out, he hates you and he hates your God, right? And sometimes I think like we picture the, the devil as this kind of like cute red little thing with the tail and he's like this weird impish thing. You know, it's like, it's this kind of cartoonization of the enemy, but the enemy does not like you and he wants to kill and destroy you. And that's his goal. And the way that he can do that is to isolate you. Because if he can get you away from your father, away from communion, he's isolated you and he can get you to believe the lies. And the lie is that separates you is that, no, this is not true. Jesus did not mean for you to ask and receive, to seek and to find, to knock and the door will be open. He didn't mean that for you because if he really meant it, then this, 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 pick a lie. I'm sure he's told we could just go around the room and say all the lies the enemy has tried to use. If, if God really had good things, he wouldn't have built your 
you to look like this. If God really had good things, he, this wouldn't happen. If God really had good things, then you wouldn't talk this way and be this way. If God really had good things, he wouldn't hold out this. He wouldn't make you endure. He wouldn't have bold, require bold things. He would just be giving everything you need right now. But I got to say, the promise fuels the prayer. And just like Jesus, we go back to the promise when the enemy comes in with his lies. And we go back to the promise again. You know what? God, I've been praying for a long time. And the enemies come in and he said, give up on that. Give up on that prayer. Why are you even praying that? You say, no, I reject that. And I go back to the foundation, the foundation, which is the promise. Can I tell you the good news about the foundation? You can jump, you can stomp on the foundation, you can lay on the foundation, you can cry on the foundation. The foundation will not move. The promises of God will remain forever. They will never change. They will never fail. No matter how insecure you feel or you've been praying and you've been knocking on the door over here and you're like getting lower and lower and out of energy, you go back to the promise of God and you stand on the promise of God and say, I reject the lies of the enemy that says to give up. And I say, I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to knock. And I know that my God who loves me and that his son who he sent out of love to die for me has promised me that I will surely see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I think if we can get that, if we can know that, if we can live that, if we can go out these doors and still believe that, it changes the way. It doesn't make life uh, less, the world less broken. But it builds the love and the knowledge and the strength in our heart to go back to the foundation, even if we got to crawl back here. So I go back to the promise. I want to invite you, would you stand with me? I want to invite the band forward this morning. I was really, really praying about uh, this message and because it, it, it is a tough one <laughs> because I think of so many people as I've met with more and more people this church. My wife and I have been here, you know, for a year and a half and uh, that have sought the Lord for so long, five years, 10 years, 20 years, some people are seeking the Lord for the same thing for 40 years. Let that sink in for a second. First of all, if you're still seeking the Lord for the same thing for 40 years, I want to honor you because you are the boldest of us all. And some of you have been praying this morning for deliverance, whether for you or someone in your family or in your life. And Sometimes you knock harder than others. Sometimes you ask more diligently than others. But you know what? The enemy has tried to come in and he's tried to take your boldness. The enemy has tried to come in with a doubt and say to you that there won't be deliverance. He's tried to come in with a lie and say, that loving father, that's not, that's not for you, that's for someone else. Or he's tried to come in and say, like, are you still here knocking? You know, he comes around like a wounded dog, just nipping at your heel. He's like, are you still here? And I really believe that this morning, when we look at the promise of Christ, I believe that this promise is for you this morning, you individually to say, 
that I'm not going to buy that lie anymore. I'm going to reject it. I'm going to go back to the foundation of the promise and I'm going to ask and I'm going to seek and I'm going to knock and I'm going to believe that the door to deliverance, to, to freedom from all of this in my life or in my child's life or in my family's life, I'm going to believe that's going to be opened. And you know what? If I don't see it today and I feel lost and the enemy comes around again, I'm going to go back to the foundation again and I'm going to ask and I'm going to seek and I'm going to knock and I'm going to reject the enemy for the coward that he is and I'm going to stand on the almighty God's promises and I'm going to knock again and I'm going to believe that there will be deliverance. Can I tell you this morning, if you're praying for that, I'm going to invite you in a second to, to ask again to seek again, to knock again. Some of you, you've been praying for healing for years. It seems like every time I encounter someone in our church or in this community, the same thing I hear is, is chronic pain or chronic illness. And my heart breaks for every person who struggle with that. My heart breaks for every family that struggle with that. And I think it can be hard to knock on that door for a year, two years, five years, 10 years and say, God, I need the boldness to knock again. I need the strength. And this morning, I feel like God is saying some of you to come back to the promise that the enemy has tried to lie to you to say, maybe this is just your lot in life. This is just how you're gonna be. This is just how it is for you, broken. Just like you are broken. And God is saying this morning, I reject that. You are my child that I love, that I died for. I wanna mend your body. I wanna mend your mind. I wanna mend every part of you, whatever that is in you or your family. And if you come back to the promise, ask again, seek again, knock again. And if you ask, it will be given. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be open. Come back and stand on the foundation, the promise of God. I don't know what that is for you this morning. I don't know what you've been seeking, but I can tell you God is calling this morning on your heart. You're not here by a mistake. You're here on purpose. And God wanted to speak into your heart. He wanted to say, ask, seek, knock. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? believe that all around this room there's people who have been asking or seeking or knocking and have just been so overwhelmed by the lies of the enemy that say there will not be this there will not be this there will not be this there will not be you will not receive you will not find you will the door will not be open and this morning God is calling you back he's bringing you in his loving arms and he's drawing you near like a loving father he's drawing you near into an embrace back on the foundation of the promise of God and he's saying I'm good and my goodness is for you and it goes out to you and I have not forgotten you I have not abandoned you I have not left you would you come back and would you stand again with boldness would you allow the promise to fuel your prayer this this morning and some of you this morning he's calling you he's calling you and he's saying would you step out this morning 
Would you come and would you stand on the foundation of the promise of God?